Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. Um, I got to say, this, this message that I have to you, for you today, I'm really excited to share it because it's something that has kind of been building on my heart for a couple months now, but yet at the same time, it's been an extremely challenging message to put together um, in a number of different ways, and I feel like there's been some spiritual warfare involved and, and just some really challenges on my own heart and some technical things that have been a challenge. And, you know, I think that uh, a lot of times when we experience challenges in our life, it's because God is trying to, to tell us something, and he has something to say but the devil doesn't want us to hear it. And so I appreciate your patience today and working with me. Hopefully the technical issues will be worked out. Um, I've got some slides I'm going to show you as well as a video that hopefully will work out. If you're online, hopefully they'll all work well for you today. But um, I believe God has a word for you today in this. And so um, I just, I'm just really excited to share. So today's sermon is about priorities. It's about the priorities that we all have in life. Whether you choose them or not, you have priorities in your life. And the Bible has something to say about what your priorities should be and how you should be living. So we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to look at some examples. And you know, it's funny, because some messages tend to be targeted more towards those who don't have faith in Christ yet. And some messages are more targeted towards those who already believe. And we trust that most of you here at Victory, have encountered Christ and, and are living for him, and that's awesome. But there's a, with this message here, it's really focused on those who do have a relationship with Christ, but it doesn't mean that it's not for you as well. If you have yet to encounter Christ, I encourage you to look at this message and think about like what a life with Jesus really means versus living for the world and living for others. It's really about that passage about the narrow road and the wide road, and we're going to hit that a little bit later. But um, think about what are your priorities in life? That's, I think we all would like to say, my priority is Jesus, and I'm moving towards him, especially as believers. That's what we want our priority to be, right? And that's kind of the Sunday school answer, but I want to dig a little deeper because the fact is, even as a believer, our priorities don't always align with what we would like them to align with, right? Like, I wish every morning I got up and could say, yes, Jesus is my number one priority today. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to spend time in his word. I'm going to live for him. I'm not going to sin today. It's going to be a wonderful day filled with the spirit of God and living for him. And it's going to be an A-plus day, right? I think we all would love to wake up every morning feeling like that and just on fire for Christ, ready to serve him with our lives. And, you know, that would be awesome. But the, the fact is, we often mess it up. We are so good at messing it up. And I think we're a lot, uh, I think we're a lot like little kids in this area, and I'm going to hit that in a second. But I've got a few polls for you. Um, I think polls are really fascinating because polls reveal a little bit about the heart behind how people think. And a few years ago, YouTube uh, started putting some polls on their site. And every time I see a poll, 
I, I don't always have a good answer for it, but I at least click one so I can see the results because I want to know what people are thinking. And so I've got a few quick polls for you today. So let's see if we can get the first one on screen here. And you can be thinking about how you would answer these polls um, yourself. So let's see. The first one, I don't think I had these in order here. Okay, the first one should say, which is the most impressive, right? All right, awesome. So fly to the moon, sail around the world, or climb Mount Everest. All right, go look at the answer. Next one. Fly to the moon. Most people felt overwhelmingly that that was the most impressive. Kind of hard to do. So yeah, I, I would agree. All right, let's go to the next one. The next one, okay. Is this the bone in the body? Which bone, which bone is most likely to break in your body? So I found this one really interesting. Go to the answer here. So this is what people thought, but the answer is wrong. The, answer, the true answer is the clavicle, the clavicle. And so I think this one's really fascinating because it shows a lot of times people don't know what they're talking about. I mean, let's be real. All right, this next one, this next one's not a real poll, but I thought it was pretty funny. Is inflation affecting your family? Yes or no? All right, look at the answer here. Yes is 155%. No is 125%. All right, all right. Yeah, accurate. Yes, accurate. <laughs> all right, and the last one here, which poll is most important? Freedom, family, finances, or faith? And we go to the answer here. In just a second, we're getting there. Do we have the answer? <laughs> Technical difficulties, it's okay. No, an no answer, okay. Well, the answer that, that they answered was family was by far number one with a, close to 50%. Freedom was number two. Faith was number three at like 14%. And then finances was last. Now, as believers, we know that that priority is a little bit backwards. And honestly, this poll is what got me thinking about this message, about priorities. Because, you know, the world just doesn't get it. The world sees things differently. And I'm not saying any of these things are bad. Family, yeah, that should be a top priority in your life. Freedom, that's a high priority, yeah. Freedom to worship, freedom to live the way that you're called to live. Finances, that's super important. The Bible talks more about money than most other topics. But if we don't have faith as the priority in our life, then we're not living for what, tr what is truly important in the eternal. And honestly, if you have family above faith, then your priorities are messed up, and honestly, your family is going to suffer. Because the way that we think things should be done is never as good as the way God has for our lives. I want to give you some examples of how our faith is often looked at by God, I think. <laughs> the Bible talks about how we are the children of God many times in Scripture. And man, I think having kids is one of the best joys in life. It's a ton of work, but it is such a blessing. But you know, the way kids think is so cool and yet so flawed. They have not figured out their priorities. And you know, I think in some ways it's cool that God calls us his children. In some ways it's like, man, that's like a little jab. It almost seems like a little insult at times because if you look at how kids think, it's just so unique. Who here has kids? Who, who's a parent in here? 
Awesome. We have lots of parents in here. If you're not, you've at least been a kid, so you kind of get it, all right? Um, I, I'm pretty sure every one of you has been there. So let me give you some examples of my own kids and how their priorities haven't yet been figured out, okay? So little Everly, she's three, and recently, for about two months in a row, she had this idea that every morning at breakfast time, I would ask her, what do you want for breakfast today? And her response was, gummies. I want gummies for breakfast. And I said, no, you can't have gummies for breakfast. We need to eat something healthy for breakfast. The next day, she'd come down and said, what do you want for breakfast? She said, gummies. And eventually, after a few weeks of this, I said, Everly, what in the world makes you think that I am going to give you gummies for breakfast? You need to eat something healthy that's going to make your body grow big and strong. And she said, well, Grammy gave me gummies for breakfast. (laughs) Of course, Grammy gave gummies for breakfast. (laughs) And, you know, I said, well, okay, that's fine if Grammy does that, but I want you to eat something healthy and so you can grow big and strong, and you don't feel sick during the day. And, and so she, she's been learning, and she stopped asking me that question after a while. But, but she's not the only one of my kids. Ellie, she's five, just recently, I think it was this last week, she said, Daddy, when I grow up, I am going to eat one healthy thing and the rest sweets. <laughs> and I looked at her, I was like, okay, I have to know, what is the healthy thing? <laughs> Mac and cheese. (laughs) I can only imagine what a diet of mac and cheese plus candy would look like. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Kids have the funniest ideas of what the priorities are. Little buddy, my one-year-old, even he has some messed up priorities. He uh, He was riding a tricycle. Now, he's at the age now where he loves anything and everything that moves. If he can ride on it, he wants to get on it. I, I made the mistake of clipping him onto my riding mower with me, my zero turn, and we mowed the lawn together. Now, every time we go to the garage, he runs up, sits on the mower and says, ride, ride, ride. <laughs> he, he can't get enough of it. But he's riding his tricycle, and we have, a, we have a little deck at the back of our house, and he's riding his tricycle on the deck, and I'm playing with the kids in the yard. And I look over there, and he gets this look in his eyes. And I say, uh-oh. And he starts riding his tricycle right for the steps. And he is riding it. I quickly run over there, and I get there, and I grab the tricycle right as that front wheel is going halfway off the top step. And he has this big old grin on his face. He's excited, and he has no idea what was about to happen. (laughs) And, you know, I feel like that is a lot like us in our faith sometimes. We're having the best time. We think we know what we're doing. We're riding that bike right for the cliff. And, you know, we're, we're going and going, and we are just completely oblivious to what God knows in our life. I want to read you 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12. If you can put it on the screen, that'd be awesome. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So there's two parts of this verse. The first is talking about how children obviously think differently, and they have this perspective 
that you put aside when you become an adult, when you become more mature, and when you learn to grow up. We don't go and eat candy for breakfast every morning. I doubt any of, yeah, okay, James maybe, but uh, I doubt any of us actually go and eat candy and then, you know, mac and cheese all day long because we would feel miserable. We know better than that. But yet, at the same time, that's a lot how a lot like how we are spiritually. And I think God sometimes looks at us and shakes his head because we have all these ideas of how things should be, yet we're often have a child, we often have a childish perspective. And the second part of this verse says, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And I believe this is talking about when we get to heaven. And we will have this new perspective, and we will, we will, it says we will know uh, fully, even as we are fully known. I think that's a beautiful thing, a beautiful phrase there, because we will have a more full understanding and fully know what, who God really is. And I think we'll be in awe of uh, God even more than we ever can be on earth, because we just don't have a clear picture, just like kids don't have a clear understanding of these things. We are trying to get there. And we are maturing in our faith, but we will never reach perfection until we get to heaven. And, you know, some adults never really grow up. I've got a, a, a video to show you a little bit. I wanted to talk about, about uh, how even adults don't always do things the right way. And, yeah, hopefully we've put away childish things, but we often pursue foolish endeavors as well. So let's see if we can get this video up. It's just a few minutes long, and we will go from there. So hopefully online, hopefully you'll be able to see it as well, and I'll just summarize it real quick afterwards. It's pretty much a given given when we fly that the pilot will remain in the cockpit cockpit and not jump jump out. out. But Red Bull has tried to turn this idea on its head, having two pilots jump out and swap aeroplanes mid-air. An ambitious stunt that was going so well, until it didn't. A stunt that began as an idea ten years ago and took a year to pull off. Coming down. Brakes coming down. Two, one. one. Brakes. Two pilots, two planes, and a madcap scheme to swap them mid-air. Diving. The planes took off from remote desert in Arizona, taking 45 minutes to reach 12,000 feet. At that point, power was cut and specially designed air brakes were meant to put the single-engine Cessnas into a 90-degree dive, a modified autopilot keeping them on track and slow enough for skydiving pilots to catch up. The two pilots, cousins Luke Aikens and Andy Farrington, were then to jump out of their planes and cross over to the other. Luke made it to his... For Andy, though... As Luke jumped in and restarted his plane, Andy was forced to parachute 12,000 feet to the ground. You safe, Andy? You safe? Yep, I'm all good. Luke touched down safely. The little piece that we can't test, that sucks. It's a little thing. We, there's no way to test it until you do it. Andy was picked up by Chopper. The two reunited, but deflated. It looked like it went over and then just kept going over. And it got on its back, and it was just on its back doing a flat spin. The boys say they planned every scenario, but this was a surprise. We've done 200 hours of flight tests. We've never once had anything even remotely. (laughs) They just go down. 
The cousin's grandfather was a World War II fighter pilot and started a skydiving school. They'd already done thousands of jumps together when Luke came up with the idea to defy the laws of aviation and physics. Oh, we're out here to set some boundaries and break them. You know, the, the whole idea of this is to do something that somebody's never done before and to push the limit. America's Federal Aviation Administration had denied Red Bull's application to perform the stunt and is now investigating the crash. Red Bull might give you wings, but these will definitely not buff out. Eddie Meyer, Nine News. Thing for them to try, or they could have even gone to another country that would have allowed them to do this stunt, which several people have done that kind of thing in the past. But you know what they decided to do? No. They decided to ignore all of that and say, you know what? We're going for it. And you see the results here. And uh, the FAA was livid with this. And since this point, they revoked all of their pilot licenses. These individuals are no longer allowed to fly unless they go through the whole process of getting all that stuff again. And there was, there was consequences for their action because they were having the mindset like a child. They had the priority set. They were like, we're going for it. You know, the whole world can do what they want to do, but we're going for it. And isn't that so much like us sometimes in our faith? We have something in our sights and we're like, this is what I want. This is what I am going for. It doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. It doesn't matter what God is saying in my life. This is what I want. I don't know about you, but I've been there before. I have had something in my sights that didn't really matter what others were saying, didn't really matter what God was trying to say. I just was so focused on that. Before Jenny and I dated, I dated this girl in college, and we got engaged. And my sights were set on this relationship. And it was like, okay, I'm going to make this work come hell or high water, right? And it became more, more and more clear that this relationship wasn't the right thing for me in the long run. But it was something I really wanted. And it was something I was pursuing. And God had to shake it up and get my attention. And it was so much harder and so much more devastating than if I had let God work. And now looking back, I am so thankful God shook it up and didn't allow it to work out, right? Because now I'm with the person I was supposed to be with. And now, you know, it's one of those things in hindsight, it's easy to look at and say, why was I so stupid? I'm sure those pilots look back and be like, why didn't we just go through one of these correct channels? Because now they have to do all this other stuff and it's a pain. And, you know, God knows what is best in our life. Um, and I think a lot of it is about having pure intent versus pursuing foolishness. You see, the way I look at it as if you have your eyes on Christ and on following him, then even when things mess up, you might sin, you might have temporary priorities that come in and mess you up. But if you have your eyes, eyes on Christ, his relationship with you uh, can help bring you back. You know, the Bible talks about how he is the author and perfecter of our faith, right? We're not perfect now, that's for sure but we are moving towards perfection in our relationship with him. Whereas if we aren't pursuing God first in our life, if that's not what our focus is on, then we're pursuing foolishness, and it's going to lead to destruction. I think, you know, it's really interesting because um, I think there's a good example of this in Scripture. Now, my brother, he's a pastor um, about an hour away from here in Asheville, and, uh, or a Ashland, um, and... Uh, and uh, he and I talked about this for about an hour, about this, this example here, because it's actually a very complicated example, 
because um, this is the, about the disciples. I want to tell you about like Peter and Judas. And I think there's a very different thing about where their hearts were here. Now, this is a little bit of me. It's not purely what Scripture says, but I think we can all kind of see where this is. And the reason I say that is the reason we talked about it for an hour is because Peter and Judas, before Jesus died, had not experienced the resurrected Christ. They did not have the Holy Spirit yet, as, and Judas never did. But we have the Holy Spirit in our life. However, they had encountered Jesus, and they had been with Jesus for three years. And if we look at that, they had seen Jesus for three years. They lived alongside him, and they had very different reactions to who Jesus was. Now, to be clear, both had very flawed understandings of who Jesus was. But Peter, Peter decided, I'm all in for Jesus, right? Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane came, and he was ready to fight for Jesus. <laughs> he cut off somebody's ear, and he was like, Jesus is my man. I'm, I'm all there for Jesus. And Judas had the opposite reaction. Judas had three years with Jesus and decided that Jesus is not who I thought he was, and I'm going to turn him over to the authorities and let them deal with him. He betrayed Jesus for, for silver. But then, you know, look at what happened next. They were both kind of devastated by Jesus' reality versus who they expected Jesus to be. And uh, Judas betrayed him, and Peter actually denied him three times. And both of these reactions were very human reactions. They were very flawed reactions. But the difference here is that Peter was able to encounter the resurrected Christ and be redeemed. And, and Jesus later asked Peter three times, do you believe in, in me, basically? And, and Peter said, yes. And he said, uh, he, he asked him three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes. And he was redeemed from that. And I think Peter's, Peter's vision and his pursuit was on Christ. And even though he failed, he came back to the empty tomb. He came back and he was desiring Jesus in his heart. And Judas, he took his own life. He backed away from that pursuit and he rejected Christ. And you know, in our own Christian life, if you're pursuing Christ, you have that opportunity to, to be redeemed and to come back to him. And, um, you know, those sins in our life, while, while we are here, we'll always have temptation. And, you know, we can be free from sin. However, there is always that temptation. And, you know, we will never be perfected, as we, as we talked about, until Christ comes back, right? And so there will always be some kind of sin in, in the body of Christ until we are fully redeemed and perfected in heaven by Christ. But let's look at the greatest commandments here. Let's bring up the next verse here. I think this is such a cool, uh, cool passage here because it really flipped the church, let's say the church, it wasn't really the church, but the religious leaders of the time, it flipped it on its head. And if you really pay attention to it, I think it really flips it on its head today in a lot of ways as well. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Um, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, this was radical. Why was it radical? Because think about how the religious leaders of the day were going about their lives. 
they had looked at the Bible, they looked at the law, and they said, these are all the things we have to follow. And if you don't follow these, then you have to go make a sacrifice to be forgiven of these things. Now, we know today that that sacrifice was meant to be a symbol of Christ who would come and forever forgive us of our sins. But back then, they didn't have a full understanding of that. They knew it was a symbol, but they didn't quite, they didn't really understand that the way that we do today. But you see, on top of those biblical laws, the religious leaders of the day piled all these other laws on top. And they said, okay, well, you can only walk this number of miles on the Sabbath. You can only do this on the Sabbath. You can't do these things. And you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. You can't do this. You can do that. And they had all these laws, and they were trying to, they were trying to be more spiritual and do things the right way through laws and through earthly means. And Jesus came and he said, that's not how you should do it. It's about focusing on what is right, not avoiding what is wrong. Let me say that again. It's about focusing on what is right, not avoiding what is wrong. And that, that, is a, that has a huge impact on us today because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we live in a broken world, right? I mean, shoot, in the last few years, we have a global pandemic. We have a war overseas in Russia that is affecting most of the world at this point. We have school shootings. We have all kinds of tragedies happening. We have inflation in our economy. We have economic hardships. We have all sorts of things going on in our world. It's very obvious that we live in a broken world. And so what's the solution? Well, I think that a lot of people have gotten caught up in this idea that the solution is more rules, right? If you look at politics, politics is kind of the glowing example of rules to fix problems. Because when we hear about political debates and, and people getting all into politics one way or the other, whether it's on the right or the left, all I hear about is we need to legislate this. We need to legislate that. We need to make it so people can't do this bad thing or people can't do that bad thing or we need to promote this good thing or promote that good thing. And while those things in itself aren't necessarily right or wrong, I'm not trying to argue for or against any laws here. Um, you know, the Old Testament's full of laws too. But those things don't solve the key heart problem that we have. The world is broken, and we will never be redeemed as a world through more laws, more rules. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. That's not the way it's going to work. No matter which party wins the next election, no matter which laws they put into place, we're still going to be broken, guys. We're still going to be broken. But the good news is that God will redeem the world. He is coming back. We know the end. We know that God will redeem the world in the end. And the cool part is that we can be part of that redemption right now because that is what the Bible's talking about when, when it's talking about how God is uh, perfecting us in our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is redeeming the world one at a time through us today. And we know that it's never going to get to be a perfect place until, until God redeems the whole world, right? But we can work on being redeemed ourselves, and then through the Holy Spirit in us and pouring out to others, 
we can help redeem the world by sharing his love with others. Because it's only an encounter with Christ that brings true redemption and true healing in the world. Let's bring up the next scripture here. It's the wide and narrow road here. And I'm sure you've all heard this scripture before, but Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, God is calling us to walk the narrow road and to walk that process of redemption with him and in relationship with him. And if you have a false idea that maybe we can get there through, like maybe we can get there on our own effort and maybe we can get it so the world is a better place, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't work towards those good things. But the fact is the Bible's very clear that wide is the road that leads to destruction. The world is lost and in need of a savior. And in the end, we will get there when he redeems us. But I know I'm not expecting to be in a perfect world. I'm not expecting to be in a world that is fixed. These things that have come out in the last few years have just reinforced the view in my mind as I look at them that, like, we are in need of a Savior because things are broken. You know, I wasn't planning on sharing this story, but I've got one story I just want to share because God was really putting it on my heart during worship And I heard it recently, it was about MLK Day. And I think it's just a good illustration of how how the world just doesn't get it and how, as believers, we are on that narrow road. So um, on MLK Day, uh, I heard this story on the radio, and it was talking about this this girl who uh, she'd been going to church, and, and she was starting to get an understanding of her faith and who Jesus was and how Jesus came, and he was upending the authority of the day, partially because of statements like this that, you know, it's about loving God and loving others, not so much about the law. It's about what God is doing. And, you know, people were furious with him. The religious leaders hated what he was doing. And, and they were driving down the road, and the little girl was starting to understand this, and she saw a crucifix on, at a church, basically, a cross. And, and she said, Daddy, like, why did they kill Jesus? And he explained this, this, that Jesus was preaching that we should love one another and we should love God and love each other. And they had their own thinking and they, they came and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't deal with what he was teaching. And so in the end, they put him to death. And as we know, there's a lot more to that because, um, you know, God used that story for the redemption of mankind. But but those religious leaders are the ones who carried that out for the most part. And, and so they were talking about this, and then she said, well, what about MLK, like Martin Luther King? Was he a pastor too? Was he, you know, a preacher? And the dad was like, yeah, he, he was a preacher too. And she said, did he, what did he preach? Did he also teach the stuff that Jesus taught? And, and, and the dad said, well, yeah, actually, like he, he was talking about how we should love God and how we should love each other and how, um, you know, he had a certain perspective on it, but in the end, his teaching was about loving God and loving each other as yourself. He said, yeah. And then the little, then the little girl said, did they kill him too? And man, like, that really hit me because it's like, yeah, like, they did. 
you know, because the world does not understand the key to the gospel, which is loving God and loving others. And they just don't get it. And a lot of people can't handle that. And, um, you know, there's a lot to that. But I want to encourage you today that if you are not a believer and you have not come to know Christ as your personal Savior, we're going to wrap up in a minute with a song. And um, if you're here in person, uh, Melanie and I will be up front, and you're welcome to come up and pray with us. And to uh, just, and I, I encourage you to just accept what Christ has already done for you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you are online today, you can just pray that prayer while we're singing and know that God uh, wants to have a relationship with you. And if you do those things, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you put him first in your life, and believe in his resurrection and forgiveness of sins, then you can be a Christian as well, and you can enter into the kingdom of God. And we want to hear about it as well, so please let us know if you're at home today and make that decision. We want to hear and celebrate with you in the good news of that. But if you're a believer, I just want to challenge you. What do you do in a broken world, right? Like, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. Like, it feels like, what do we do? And I will say, there's nothing that you can do to fix the world but God can do it. And so I want to encourage you to do two things. One is to spend daily time with God. Now, I know from personal experience, I'm not always the best at this. So it's something I'm working on myself, but spend some daily time with God. And second is to pray, because it's through prayer that God works. And, you know, you can, if you spend time with God in prayer, uh, then God, ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit in you poured out to others that is the redeeming factor in this world and can impact us and help perfect us, right? And so as I was thinking about how to close this message today, um, I, was, I was praying about it and thinking about it. And actually last night, I took my kids to uh, Raglan Memorial, had a, like, a little fair thing going on, and my kids did Awanas this year. And so we went to that, and they were doing a bouncy house and face paint and having a lot of fun. But they had a worship team there. And that worship team was singing the song, Battle Belongs. And I thought the words to this song were really sticking out to me. And they were really, really hitting me. And I I felt like this is the perfect way to end. So in just a second, you guys can come up. I'm going to have the worship team sing this song. But I want to read you the lyrics real quick before we sing the song. Because I think it's a really powerful way to look at how do we fight the darkness in the world? How do we... Uh, combat the broken world today. And it's not through our strength. It's Christ that does it. So let me read the, the first part of this song, and then we'll go ahead and sing it to close this out today. It says, When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moved. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There is nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high, O God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night, O God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus, there is nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Thank you, God. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. Thanks again for listening. 
if you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.